folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's in Australia. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan. And in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgis, that's E-M-I-L dot G-O-R-G double E S Emil dot Gorgis at Tokyo Realty dot JP. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right. So for today's episode, we're back with our JREP experts panel once again, starting off light and easy off topic, talking about cherry blossoms and horror movies of all things. But we quickly get back on uh, form with a conversation about the advantages and disadvantages of purchasing in cash versus a financed purchase and how to accurately calculate profitability and returns in both cases. We also talk special purpose loans, like for Airbnb properties, for example. Then a bit of a segue or a rant, I should say, on the subject of Japan's archaic banking system, how easy it is or how difficult it is to open corporate bank accounts in Japan, how to apply for a loan as a business owner, um, online banks as opposed to retail banks, the lack of an escrow system, escrow system in Japan, and also some other topics like price appreciation, depreciation, and how that's calculated, purchase and running costs, renovations, and how to include them in property loans when possible, how to comply with requirements from banks and government offices, bureaucracy, and so forth. So a really wide range of topics there, but still very much a deep dive today as well. So enjoy the conversation, and I'll see you again on the other side. Right, back with the Japan Real Estate Experts panel. I'll just do the intro myself quickly. We got Tracy, the Minpaku Queen, <laughs> all things related to short-term stays, uh, including consulting for short-term stays for people overseas as well. So don't feel that you're obliged to uh, be in Japan to get our services. And we got Matt there, who is uh, in charge of everything abandoned, dilapidated, and uh, otherwise uh, vacant, um, mostly in the countryside, but not only, you said, right? Yeah, although honestly, I wouldn't. It, it seems that the metro area abandoned stuff is just like across the board. Just ugh. <laughs> yeah, whereas the rural stuff, there's much more opportunity out there. But yes, technically speaking, we can do city stuff as well. And uh, we have the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel, J-Rep, and we're also going to have Blanca, our renovation expert, and Emil, our Tokyo family home and mortgage expert, joining us hopefully at some stage today. But yeah, so how's uh, your week been, folks? It 
it's not look uh you know i'm not sure when this is going to broadcast but it's just gotten hot here in tokyo so um yeah kind of like a snap yeah well it was two weeks ago i was in um uh yamanashi yamanashi in uh, yamanakako and it was dumping snow and then yeah and now i'm back in tokyo and it's hot as hey this is my favorite time of year though like after the cherries before to you is my absolute favorite time of year it is the sky is blue it's warm you can you know you don't need a you know uh you don't need uh uh, a big coat but at the same time you can sleep at night it's not you know crazy hot all the time yeah, give it five or six weeks yeah i know it's just it's this five or six week window what do they say how many seasons does japan actually have it was like 56 or something like, or like <laughs> 365 actually 365 seasons in japan yes <laughs> this, is my, this is my absolute favorite season before before tsuyu tsuyu is just nasty yeah, yeah, I'm really not looking forward to it this year, considering how extreme this spring has been. Um, it it only actually occurred to me recently that like, hey, wait a minute, I'm usually freezing my ass off during like cherry blossom season. Like, I'm very hot right now. Like, this yeah. is not not normal. I survived very long this year too. I think because there was not too many big rain, like storms or whatnot. They they were actually around for like a good long month. I think. Yeah, I've still got them in in Yugawara. Um, you know, they're they're definitely nearing their end, but there are still sakura uh, around, which is nice. Mm. With all this new sort of growth that you've got, uh, Matt, that's you know you're going to really find it with the humidity. You're just going to go. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, what happens. With oh, you should weave cherry blossoms in it, man. That'll be gorgeous. It's but it's got to be much longer first. But yeah. yes, I yeah, kind of like what was that movie uh, about the Finnish cult? Uh, uh summer, summer. Yeah, summer. Uh, oh my, that was such a good movie. It was pretty good. I've, I've, I critique everything that I interact with, so I have a few things about it, but yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. What was it called? I forgot now. Summerfest, not Summerfest. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Summer, Summerville. <laughs> <laughs> Summer. Midsummer, Midsummer. Yeah, Midsummer. Midsummer. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan of horror movies, and usually when they're not gory or creepy enough, I, I go, yeah, that wasn't so scary, but that was fucking uh, scary. Well, I mean, honestly, I so grew up with the whole gore and slasher scene and, you know, body horror and Cronenberg and stuff like that. Still appreciated from time to time, but I do believe that it's largely overdone and that psychological horror is really the one to go for these days. Yep, yep. So absolutely, but that, that's not the topic. Oh, oh my god, I could go about this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So cherry blossoms. I when once once uh, once I'm able, I will weave flowers into my beard. So, have we had any questions from our you know our watchers, listeners, recorders? Like, is there any been any questions from the from the gallery? Um, well, we don't get them directly related to the podcast, but the Japan Real Estate Group is very active with questions, um, and a lot of Nepalese advertising properties for rent for some reason. Um, but let me just scroll down. Okay, well, this this is probably one that Emil would be able to go on about, but um, 
Somebody was asking if there's any real advantage to purchasing in cash versus mortgage one way or the other. And the only thing that I knew to tell them from a cash buyer perspective, because that's most of our clients, is that you can always get your foot in the door a lot quicker if you're making a cash offer as opposed to um, waiting on bank approval. Um, but I don't know. A anyone else got any thoughts on that? that? That's exactly where my mind went to, Ziv. Uh, it's comparatively very easy and quick to make cash purchases. If you want to go the financing route, all well and good. Prepare to wait a few months at least. Um, yeah, definitely. Cash, cash has always been king in Japan, always been honestly, king. You know, honestly, let's take it a little further. And you know what? Let's even go back to the psychological horror conversation that we kind of just had. In that, not only are you going to wait some time and stuff, but you're going to be jumping through hoops. You're going to be interacting with bureaucracy. You're going to be interacting with a whole lot of red tape. And you're probably going to be pulling your hair out at one point or another, which is to say, this is going to color your perception and experience of the entire purchase process associated with your property, which means you might actually end up associating those experiences with the property itself, which might ultimately negatively affect your entire experience with said property. That's a very interesting- That is, ex oh, that is woo. That is woo out there. So, yeah. but, but, but certainly, if you do have like a big chunk of change to drop on, you know, to drop into a property, other people are going to be running that for you anyway. So um, yeah. it's unlikely that you're going to be doing the the uh, all the le all the grunt work and the leg work. Yes, yeah, so and in, I, Ma in Matt's world, and I think all, also in your world, Tracy, because when you apply for a loan, you need to tell them the purpose of the property, like what what's the property actually going to be used for, and I, I guess they don't really like. Mean Paku that much from from an investment loan perspective, right? Uh, well, you know, supposedly Mizuho Bank um, have a have a product that they you know that they were they were pitching with together with Airbnb, um, you know, uh, finance your Airbnb using Mizuho Bank. Um, I don't, I haven't seen that advertised much anymore, um, <laughs> and it was really just to you know get some. You know, get some PR. It might PR have been value. a pre-COVID thing too. It was definitely a pre-COVID thing. Absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, even I just you know, from my experience, I started up a I started up a GK, a new GK. I moved it from one of my other companies just to to spin out just the Minpaku stuff. And getting a bank account has just been a nightmare before uh, because the banks just don't like Minpaku, and it's like. This is the core of my business. It's a fully incorporated business. It was, it is, it is legal. It is licensed. It is, you know, it is, you know, I've got the, I've got the hunkos, but they wanted, you know, they wanted a pint of blood and and a um and to see the copies of the of the licenses. And I still haven't got the bank account, so it's a it's a real pain. Do but, you have to um be that specific when you apply for the bank? Can't you just say you're in rental properties, for example? Not for a corporate, not when you, uh, yeah, actually, maybe I should just apply to a different bank and just not mention it's Mimpaku, but um, yeah, because you do have to state the, the, the nature of your business um, when you are applying for a bank account. But yeah, yeah I mean, and, and if you, you know, if you go online and just read, read what people say about, um, you know, Japanese retail banking, it's just a nightmare. It's just a nightmare. It's um, because we've been doing the new business um, and now we're helping people apply for bank accounts when they arrive in Japan and stuff like that. So um, How's that going for you? Um, awesome, actually. Very, very awesome. And um, 
I mean, our business is doing well too. We're just hiring two new staffers and uh, renting a new office next door. So we can like have a chateau office and then staff office kind of thing. So we can actually focus on our work. But regardless, I mean, so apparently PayPay Bank do offer commercial accounts as well. And the online application process is very easy in comparison to a retail bank. And that's a full bank. You can like accept money from overseas. You can, you know, transfer money transfer money online uh, well they do have a swift uh, big code so i'm assuming they take funds from overseas yeah and, and you pay, can definitely it's an online banking system like i mean like any other like shouldn't say like sony bank and, and it's pay, 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 good i was gonna say it's pay pay bank right yep oh i do which, like which was yeah. bought out or somehow it was another bank before it was pay pay bank and i forget which bank it was oh uh, I did not know that. That's yeah. interesting. I'm looking it up now because, you know, PayPay Bank Corporation. Because one of the, for the rock and roll stuff that I do, one of the um, accounts that I was basically sending like chair, like the charitable work that we did, one of the accounts that I was working with was, ah, uh, Japan Nettle. Oh, okay. Japan oh. Net Bank. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And I, I, I remember going to like pay out and being like, hey, where the hell did your bank account go? Like, what is yeah. up? And then he, I asked him, he was like, oh, no, it's PayPay now. I was like, oh, that's yeah. okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I will check it out. So, and you can do sort of internet banking as well, like footy commies and stuff from your phone, all that, all yep. that jazz. Yep. I mean, all of them offer that. We actually had a customer sign up with uh, GMO Auzora Bank, which is also an online bank just recently. And surprisingly enough, they don't, accept international transfers. Like I've never seen a bank that doesn't have a swift big code. That doesn't um, surprise, it's GMO affiliated. Okay, I didn't know anything about GMO, why is that? Oh, I, I thought I thought I heard you say that it was. No, no, it was, but what, why do you say that? What's GMO? Oh, they're just I, I don't like know. one of my, so they're the ones who run- um, uh, Hate uh, the, them, hate them. Oh, they're the worst, I hate but them. They, they run onamai.com, they're yes. just, they're the, Oh, oh, like the like the def the okay. definition of the worst type of business Japan can possibly do. It is everything about them are awful. Oh, they're awful. They're just awful. This they're, they're spammers. They're um, you know predatory. It's just it's just icky, really icky. All right. And if you're watching this, I don't care. Yeah, really. <laughs> Get off of my, if if you have, if you host your if your domain is part of GMO, talk to any one of us. We'll help you find a different yeah. provider so that get you can off. get out of that shit system. <laughs> yeah. are, I'll do it for free. I hate them. Yeah. It's really <laughs> interesting though that you know such a such a, you're saying that you know everything that's bad about Japan business practices kind of thing, which to me translates as old school. Very. So why, why would an old school company like that set up an online banking system? Money. That's why. <laughs> no, but I mean, that, <laughs> that's, squeeze you. that's out there, cutting edge. Well, that, and the, so that's the weird thing about them is one of many weird and terrible things about them is that they're major players, at least domestically, in a lot of the IT scenes and their products are absolute garbage. Really? Like they have no chops with anything. And yet they're this huge name with a whole bunch of backers and they got their claws in all kinds of business. Mm, just so, 
Oh God, I'm so happy, Tracy, that I finally found somebody who hates GMO. As oh, much I as hate I them! Do. I hate them. <laughs> well, um, to our client Huey, if you're listening to this, I know you usually listen to the podcast. Don't worry, we'll get you to a new bank account. As yeah, soon find as anything. Else. Anything <laughs> is better <laughs> than GMO. Like no, even Mizuho and all that stuff. Like they are, I guarantee you, even Mizuho would be much better than the GMO. Product. Yeah, the problem is with a non-online bank, they're not at all happy to accept a company that's registered under a non-resident right that's that's the major problem whereas right, the um right. online banks are a bit more lenient on that okay well yeah so find work within those parameters but geez oh man get away from GMO. yeah <laughs> wow okay no that i'm really going to look at um really going to look at PayPay today i'm going to you know get my va to maybe go and open up a bank account for me there because i've been searching and searching it's been a, it's really really hard Mm. Yeah, that's probably, um, we should probably talk a little bit about the sure. Japanese banking system while we're at it, because that's a thorn in the side of a lot of uh, wood oh, sure. real estate buyers and or investors, whether they're residing in Japan or out of Japan, as long as they're foreigners, it's always going to be an issue, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I'll just tell the story of when I bought my house, it was, it, it was, it, it, Basically, it was in cash and it was like, you know, all the transactions were in cash and, and, you know, sitting at, and, you know, this is only five, five, six years ago. And it's just, it was a really horrendous process um, because there were bricks and bricks of cash that the stamp duty was being paid and the, you know, the, you know, the, the vendor was being paid and oh, it was just, and the agent there was being paid and it was all in cash and it was all just sat there with, you know, it, it was salary man feedings frenzy basically because they're all you know <laughs> they're all japanese uh, japanese salarymen in their suits and they're all just like salivating all this money just being you know transacted and like my husband and i are just sitting there going what the hell is happening so mm -hmm. you know because buying property in australia you know the part when you know when the conveyancing has been done and the, the title change has been done the, the parties are in separate rooms and the it's just papers that are going back and forward for, for signing and stamping but we we're just sitting across from each other it was like you know i wish i'd been taking a video it was just cases of cash right emil was talking about that it was the weirdest thing it was the weirdest <laughs> thing yeah and then stamp duty is actually in stamps it's yes just like <laughs> oh god yeah it does feel like you're conducting a drug deal each and every time doesn't it, it well no i mean it might as well be right the the lack of a scroll is nerve-wracking to say the least yeah um it's it's very much um something that we have learned to be like like maybe warn is not the right but like bring this up far in advance of an actual offer being put in of like just fyi if and when you do want to make a purchase it's almost guaranteed that we're going to be doing precisely uh you know what tracy just described um which is not ideal <laughs> yeah but i mean the fact that there's a oh, there's a meals chair at least that the fact that there's a judicial scrivener involved who actually confirms the you know that money has been remitted before they actually release the title deed and the fact that japan is a very much a legal recourse kind of environment right like it's not like somebody's gonna run off to the hills or, or relocate to indonesia with your cash or what well it's not so much I mean, I've seen it happen any number of times now. So for me, like when I'm viewing this, it's like, okay, that's just, that's what happens. Um, it's, it's really not an issue of 
kind of like fear or risk or or trust because as you said japan's pretty reliable in this stuff like i'm not particularly concerned i mean you know not zero but not particularly concerned that you know somebody's going to come in swoop in and like steal the money or whatever it's pathetically luddite yeah is what it is it is it is shamefully dated like embarrassingly so yeah. Um, and that right there is, you know, one of many uh, indicators or examples of a lot of the problems with major institutions conducting their business in Japan, like GMO, um, is that does it get done? Yes. Is it safe? Yeah. Right. Is it best practice, efficient, comfortable, like any other good qualifier? No, it's an absolute nightmare. That once you, I mean, it's a gauntlet that you have to run through, just like, oh my God, hoping that something doesn't go wrong, even though you know that it probably won't. And so it's, again, it's not, to me anyway, it's not a matter of, of fear of theft or, or something bad like that happening. It's just, what the fuck? <laughs> Make this better. This is 2022, okay? <laughs> like these resources have existed for decades now and yet you still refuse to use them. It's oh, we do, we do have a few agents these days that actually accept digital signatures. So we're going somewhere with that. Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, Hi, Emil. <laughs> Hi, man. Hey, guys. Well, wow. Are you guys talking about the purchase process? Well, we just yeah, banks and money. Banks in general. Banks in general. And about, you know, like, if you if you are bringing cash over, what, what you could expect, but how sometimes working in cash is better than, you know, uh, waiting for, if you're doing a commercial deal, than waiting for finance. It, it was a segue from that question. You actually had a lot to say on that, on that question from the Japan Real Estate Group on Facebook. Facebook. By the way, somebody mm -hmm. who is still not a member of this group, it's a really good source of information, a really active community. But Emil, you, you remember the guy who was asking, is there any real advantage in purchasing in cash versus mortgage? Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and we were just saying that, you know, Cash is king in the sense that you always get your foot in the door quicker mm. and everything will be smoother. Um, but otherwise, I mean, obviously financing gives you the other advantages that you keep harping on about, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember that post. And that one was, it wasn't, you know, like when we talk about cash is king, dash, like cash versus like, you know, credit or financing. It's really, you know, when it's the same thing, you go to buy a TV from big camera for electronic shop. You can, if you say you're a cash buyer versus, or a car, used car, cash versus credit or loan, cash is, is just easier. There's no hurdles to go through and there's no sort of, you know, for the paperwork, there's no possible risk on the seller side. It can be done quick and easily. And also there's less transaction cost, mm. right? When you pay credit card, the merchant needs to pay a fee. That's almost 2% right there, I think, right? Straight off the bat. So cash is easier that said this particular question wasn't you know the cash is king didn't doesn't apply to that because it's not the same purchase one of it you have you know 10 million yen a hundred thousand dollars is is that purchase is that investment better than like as so cash only it's a, a hundred thousand dollar investment 10 million yen does it make more sense financing, financially? Yeah. Well, 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 financing, it's a 50 million yen purchase. So it's not, it's not the same. You're not comparing the same. So isn't, to say cash is king, well, yeah, if you want to buy 10, uh, 10 million yen property, but I'd rather a 50 million yen property for the same cash outlay, right? That, that's, so I think it's, it's completely different. Like that expression, I think, doesn't fit into what 
that uh, idea that he was that that person posted that I'm going to get a better deal if I buy in cash because you're only getting 20% of the deal. And that's where I think leverage can be really good. And his calculation was had a massive, massive oversight. And I posted that saying that, that this is a really erroneous way of calculating. And that was he his calculation. Um, so just so people can have a quick, um, you know, oh, have you already explained what the question was? Or, um, and I didn't go into detail. No, okay. just, so, just vaguely. It was essentially, you know, if I have 10 million yen cash, should I buy, like, the question was, what's better, buying um, a, a property using cash, so 10 million yen, or financing? And if you finance, often you need to put a 20% deposit. So it's 10 million yen deposit and 40 million yen financing. So if it's cash only, it's a 10 million yen property investment. If it's uh, financing, it's a 50 million yen uh, property purchase. 10 million is your cash, 40 million is the, the bank loan. And one of his calculations was, you know, if of my, in, just I'm getting, you know, I think he said about 180,000 yen rental return, but 150,000 goes towards the mortgage. And so, but he classified that mortgage expense entirely as a, as an expense. Whereas it's not an expense at all, is it? Except it, for the interest it, part of it. Precisely. Only about what, 30,000 yen to 50,000 yen would be interest. The under, other 100,000 yen is going to principal. So you're not only making like cash flow is yet yeah, 10 to 15,000 yen a month positive cash flow, mm. but actual uh, equity, like actual return is 115,000 yen a month, right? And when that, that's, that comes up to ten, over 10 times what he was coming up with, instead of, oh, I'm only getting 10 to 15,000 yen a month, you're actually getting 115,000 yen a month. And so that's just completely incorrect way of, of looking at it. Um, I think in general, I, I think one of his one of his arguments there was that uh, yes, I'm paying towards the principal, and I end up, you know, at the end of it, uh, I'm ending up with pure profit when I start. But then I'm investing in something that actually Japan, being Japan, is actually depreciating. So by the time I'm done paying the loan, it's not worth supposedly it's not worth nearly as much as I originally paid for it. Uh, yeah, the, definitely. So the building will depreciate, but generally not as fast as you're contributing. So at the end of thirty five years or they say whatever the duration of the loan, is the building worth zero? The answer is no, which it generally is not, because the otherwise- The property is definitely not worth yeah. zero. Yeah, yeah the, prop, the, the property is not worth zero. Like there's going to be residual value in just uh, the land or the asset at least. That's why you can't go out now and buy a 35-year-old property for nothing. Even- Even, um, even Matt, in Matland. <laughs> even in Matland, Akia. You can't really go and get something for nothing. It's, it's yeah. quite difficult or it's going to be- ridiculous but if you're considering buying a you know a 50 million yen property in in tokyo or almost anywhere at mansion there are no 35 year old mansions for for free no. um that, that that are ease that are that you can actually use as an investment uh that is not not a absolute complete piece of junk hey guys so, i gotta jump early apologies something okay. came up so i'm gonna go attend yeah. to that right. uh good talking see, see you later you're right see you yeah, yeah so, there's um there's a point there. And also, I mean, currently, at least, I know that, you know, it's nothing to bank on for the long term, but currently, at least, um, Tokyo new condos are selling for higher than they sold pre-bubble days. So we're definitely not in a depreciating market, at least not in central Tokyo and Osaka. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, you know, I've got one client, he bought a, 
apartment mansion in near Sanginjaya uh, in 2019. So it's that three years, three years ago now. Um, it was like, a, at the time it was like nine or 10 years old. I think it was, I think it was built in 2010 or 2011. He bought it in 2019. So, you know, so I'm under 10 years old. And now he's buying a house. So he's bought a house and so he's going to sell his mansion. Um, like he's, he got married and sort of family structure is changing. So what's, um, and I think, yeah, it's basically, I think it was like in the 50, mid 50s that it was purchased for. And now we're going to relist it um, between 65 and 70. Starting is about 70, right? So he's had it for three years. And we're, we're releasing it for about 10 million yen, 10 to 12 million yen on top of the purchase price. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's paid off, what is that, like, I think three to five million yen over the past three years he's had it, plus another, you know, hopefully 10 million yen uh, of, of just profit. And, so, for and the moment, at least, there's actual capital appreciation profits to be made in Japan, which is the first time I've seen it in the 10 years that I've been working here. Um, actually, to be honest, I think over the part, like in Tokyo, at least anyway, if you get a decent property at the beginning, if, if you bought any time over the past 10 years, you would be selling for better than what, more than your purchase price. Yeah, fair enough. We don't want to place, much, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but in, yeah I think we had, a, you know, pretty much since, since 2013, since Arbenomics started, right? And that's when I think the Olympics were first announced and they were just like real general hype and pump. Um, and just with a lot of economic sort of stimulus going, uh, there was, yeah, especially the Abenomics whole, whole entire approach, um, was quite steady, um, it's been a steady increase, whereas previously it was very flat for a long time. And then we start to see the, the increase. And even then we're talking like just a few percent year on year, nothing um, ridiculous, like cool, I'm um, Australian. So that's just, you know, 20% year on year, kind of 10% year on year for the past three, four decades. Uh, whereas this is a more more stable uh, growth, yeah, uh, it's it's been there, it's been very very firm. But mm-hmm. Tim, um, I, I think it's really important. We go back to that point. You know, I want you to to contribute. The the person on Facebook, I think, how they did their their analysis was, it just wasn't a very uh, I say standard approach. I think they said, oh, I'm paying about you know, uh, I'm going to like. For 50 million yen, I'm paying about 150,000 yen in this, about 15,000 yen in, in um, uh, what's it called, in management fees and stuff like that. And then I'm also paying the cost of the closing costs, which is another two or three million yen on top. And this is what I'm getting per month. Yeah, it wasn't like we we would never like. Well, I know you wouldn't. You wouldn't, and you do mostly investments. That's not how you, that's not the way you structure the numbers when looking at the revenue and expenses and what the net yield is, right? It's not, well, it depends on what you're investing for because a lot of, we do have a lot of customers that contact us and say, look, I want to buy something that gets me, you know, 500 bucks in my pocket every month, right? And if you're coming in from that perspective, then yes, you would maybe structure the amount that you would borrow versus the, because they actually want cash in their pocket for, I don't know, for shopping, for paying off another mortgage, what have you. They want to make sure that at the end of the month, they're left with actual cash that they can keep and use. Oh, so, Liquid cash, right? Yeah, sorry. So what, what I meant wasn't that. So there's two ways to look at it. Like net return, which also includes your mortgage repayment equity portion, principal portion, or cash flow right? That's, that's fine. And you can go either way. For some people, 
you know, that one is more important than the other. That's fine. What I meant was the way he just presented the numbers. Yeah. Felt like it, it's not, a, it's, it felt quite unusual, right? So, so I want you to go through that. Usually when you look at the numbers, there's the cost purchase and ongoing, and like there's the, the, the cost basis calculation. Yes. And then there's the ongoing expenses. Yeah, I think the way that he posted it, at least, I'm not sure if that's, you know, a mistake in his, uh, an error in his thinking or an error in the way that he actually, you know, wrote the words down. But the way he was presenting is it, it's if all of the contributions toward the principal were just gone into the ether kind of thing, right? Like I'm paying every month 80, um, I'm just looking at it now, 80,000 or 100,000 yen per month. Um, and that's, I'm not getting it. Whereas if I pay cash, I'm going to be getting it directly into my pocket. It seemed as if he doesn't actually understand that he's paying off a property, which is going on at the end of the process is going to be his, yeah. and it's going to be a much bigger, more expensive, better resale value property, okay. as opposed to the 10 million one. So, so when like looking at his numbers, how would you describe like when you're doing, okay, you've got the Excel sheet open, what would you put in the you know, in the cost expense and then sort of like the, the, the purchase price and then the ongoing revenue. We don't really deal with, um, we don't really deal with finance properties. So our Excel sheets are a lot more simple in the sense that we have um, pure cash amount paid, pure cash amount earned every year after all expenses. And then we get a, a both a monthly or an annual amount and an actual um, ROI number percentage wise. We don't need to factor in all of these calculations, but again, with Japan's interest rates being what they are, I wouldn't think it would be that much different to run those numbers. Yeah. So the, the only thing, correct me if I'm wrong. So the only other aspect, the only other cost with the mortgage is the cost of interest. Yes, that's correct. That's right. exactly what I'm yeah. saying. Yes. Yeah. So we interrupt this broadcast, I always wanted to say this, we interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations, or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now the properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long-term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays, drop them a line today 
see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies, G-O-R-G-E-E-S at tokyorealty.jp. Yeah, so, but, all right, so let's go through and clarify. When you're looking at a property, what are the expenses we look at? So the purchase expenses are um, the real estate agent's fee, the brokerage fee. There's the um, purchase tax, which is a statement that you get down the track after the settlement. And there is, um, if we facilitate the purchase, there's our fee as well, which is quite similar to the brokerage fee again. And then there's legal and registration fees, which can vary significantly depending on the actual evaluation, official evaluation of the property versus the market price. So generally speaking, cheaper properties could come up to maybe something like five or 6% in legal and registration fees, whereas more expensive ones, and from our perspective, because we deal in cash cows a lot, from our perspective, more expensive ones could be anything above 10 or 15 million yen. And those tend to go towards, slowly shrink towards 1% or slightly less if you're buying something that's, say, a half million US or what. And then management fees, um, if it's a house or an entire... Oh, sorry, so, sorry. Sorry. So, so that was right, right now, the, co the cost that you closed that you mentioned, that's the costs for, the, and that's a one-time initial closing cost. Purchase costs, yes. One time Purchase off, costs. and they, so, they don't differ that much between whether you get a loan or not. Yeah, so let's say, so whatever the property value is, let's say it's 10 million or 50 million, like these are the two examples we had in this Facebook post, 10 million yen or 50 million yen um, cost. It's still about the closing costs of those items that you mentioned are anywhere from about five, like almost 10%, I think in your um, case. The price, because you've got our uh, fee as an added factor in there, which can also be somewhere between three to five percent. Um, with very cheap properties, we do take into account that it could be as bad as 16, 17 percent. Mm -hmm. And with um, properties that are, let's say, 40 million yen and over, it usually amounts to something like 10 or 11 percent. Without us, it would be something like maybe seven or eight, worst case. Yeah. So yeah, so that, that's what I find with general home loans, about five to eight percent, depending on the financing cost. But about five to eight percent is the cost when buying your own personal home. Mm. Sometimes we can wrap that up into a loan. Um, I think in your case, there's your additional uh, fee on top, which adds a, a few percentage points. Yeah. So that's yeah, looking back closer to around ten percent, give or take. Okay, but that, that's sort of what you consider for the purchase of it. Now let's look at the ongoing monthly costs. So yeah. the only source of revenue is the rental return, the rental. Plus that's maybe a parking, a parking spot if you got one of those. I mean, that's rental as well, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, well, let's, let's, let's get that little complexity out of it. Just rental for the property, right? Yeah. Or if, if it is whatever it may be, it's rental income. There's no other sources. But then expenses. Let's just run through. Like These are the ongoing monthly ones. What do we have? So we've got insurance, which is minute in Japan really, really cheap. Um, that usually amounts to, uh, I'd say, less than half a percent annually or something of that sort. 
And then we've got um, the property manager's fee, which varies if you own the entire building, it might be lower, but usually is around 5% plus tax, so 5.5%. And you've got our own management fee, and we've got a minimum cap on it, but let's assume you've gone beyond the minimum cap, so it's going to be a 2% plus tax. Portfolio management fee, if you need us to facilitate communication with the uh, building management company, the insurance company, the property manager, you need somebody to centralize all of that for you. And then you've got, so there's a big difference here in whether you're owning an entire structure or if you're owning individual um, units in a condo. So if you own individual units in a condo, I can't really estimate a percentage for building fees because it varies significantly. It could be anywhere between five or 7% and all the way up to 30% of your gross monthly income. So if the building is rather old and requires more maintenance, or if it's a rather fancy building and there's a lot of on-site management, those could go up to as much as say a third of your rental income. Um, but if you own the entire structure, then we usually, I mean, we'd have some numbers based on previous years, but we'd usually factor in about 10% of the gross rental income that goes towards um, maintenance, renovations and so mm -hmm. forth. And then that grows as the structure gets older, it might get to 15, 20%, which is usually when you'd start consider reselling in. Okay. And then asset tax every year? Yeah, so with the taxes, we don't evaluate that ahead of a deal because we would only know the actual amounts very close to settlement. Mm -hmm. um, asset tax also varies depending on the size of the property and the age of the property and the location and the official evaluation, but it's usually somewhere between, again, for pricier properties, maybe half a percent per year. And for cheaper ones, it could go all the way up to maybe 1.5% per year. That's the worst we've seen so far. And then there's your individual taxes. So if you purchase an individual, it becomes a part of your normal income tax payment. And if you purchase as a company, you've got your corporate tax on the rental income. Okay. So there's the management fee, maintenance cost, um, insurance, and uh, asset tax, annual asset tax. Correct. Right. And then interest. And property if management. If you have a mortgage. Oh, when you say management, there's property management and then there's building management. If, if you're yeah, purchased in a condo. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay. There's a, a few items. One thing. Sorry, Tracy. We just were going on the thing and I haven't even <laughs> spoken <laughs> to you. I said, I really. Um, I just want to cover this one last cost thing and then I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. Uh, the other one that I think over, gets overlooked and is always probably one of the more complex aspects of taxation for people that are not probably familiar with it is depreciation, building depreciation. So what you can do is the value of the building, let's say the, you know, like for a property, like a building in, in Tokyo, let's say, if the land is 50 million, the building might be about 30 million yen in value. Well, I'm talking like just a house, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's keep it easy. Hey, Blanca. Oh, hey, Blanca, how are you? How are you? Welcome. Very good, very good. Emil, just finishing one explanation and then we'll officially introduce you. Hang on. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's say the building, yeah, we've got the house, the, the land is 50 million, the building is 30 million. That building is what you can depreciate over, well, whatever the, the life cycle says. Um, if it's a brand new wooden building, I think it's 24 years you can depreciate. So yeah. 30 million divided 23 by 23 or 24. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, you know, almost a little bit under, uh, a little bit over a million, one million yen per year. If you buy it used and it's already had, you know, if you buy it, it's already 10 years old 
then the tax office has a slightly different way of calculating the remaining life of the property. Um, but anyway, what you can do is what your income comes in, you have the depreciation value. You can start depreciating. Um, according, according to the accountants that we've been working with, and I wouldn't presume to, to know exactly how it works, but there are two potentially different ways that you could assess and then decrease your um, depreciation contributions. Um, some of them work better for newer buildings. Some of them work better. I mean, th there's a couple of ways they can do that. Yes. There, there are so that's there, there are multiple ways on the same building. I think there's two different ways you can um, assess it. Like there's I know there's straight line, and I think there's a another curved line approach. But the for the um, depreciation timeline. But the point I'm saying is, if like that's still for a brand new property, I think it's still over 24 years. Yeah. And whether most of it most of it gets done in the first 10 years or it gets evenly distributed, that's something you can speak to the accountants about. But what I'm saying is. You know, let's say that you buy the building, it's already 10 years old, right? It's got a 24-year lifespan, but you bought it at 10 years of age. So do you just have 14 years of an appreciable life left on it? Or is the calculation different? Or in the cases where you buy a, a building that's already over 24 years old, it's already finished its depreciable life cycle. So then what is the depreciation calculation? And the tax office have different ways to give you that the, the remaining lifespan of an asset that you buy depending on um, the age of how it is already. So th that may also be you know, beneficial, like depends on your particular uh, yeah, circumstance. For concrete, One builds, maybe it's, uh, for concrete buildings, 40, it's 47 years, I think. Yeah, it's, for, it's 47. And that's why I think sometimes um, I see a lot of, like I, I prefer concrete buildings, I think for an investment, like just in terms of the quality of building and stability of a building, it's more expensive, but it is just a, a more solid building. On the long run, um, it's far so less maintenance too. Exactly. Yeah. But your, if you build brand new, your depreciable life is, you know, that is over 45 years, not 24 years. So you're getting about 50% the amount of depreciation on it for and like per, per year. So that's going to significantly change your, uh, your um, the, the return that you're getting tax liability for the life of that unless, investment. Unless, and we've touched on this uh, last week when we uh, first spoke to Blanca, unless you're planning to do some renovations with, and then concrete makes everything much more complicated, doesn't it? So Blanca, Emil, sorry, you haven't met the uh, first time she joined us. So Blanca, please introduce yourself. Hi guys, thank you for having me. I'm sorry I'm late today. No worries. And I'm the co-founder of Arc Reform. We are a bilingual reform company that is serving Chiba and Tokyo, but we can basically uh, uh, serve customers in the whole Kanto region. And one of our niches is we are bilingual, so we uh, can discuss with clients about the projects in English and in Japanese, and we can also provide contracts and uh, the quotations and everything in English as well in Japanese. So that's where uh, I think the easy, the kind of uh, easy approach to reforms comes in because uh, we speak we speak not only English and Japanese, but we speak many languages in our company. So the barriers, we are breaking barriers. Yep, and this is uh, Emil, he's our Tokyo family home and uh, mortgage expert. And um, we were actually, I think we were talking, I think a couple of months ago now, we were talking about potential loans 
for renovations, right? Like whether they can include renovation components or even rebuild components. Is that, is that yeah. a thing? Absolutely. You can, get, uh, you can get a loan for reforming your property without, usually without a problem. Uh, we've done it with the client. What they needed for us, uh, from us is the Mitsumori, the quotation. And with that quotation, they, then they went to the bank of their choice and secured the loan in uh, the amount of, of the renovations. They got a little extra because they were doing some, um, some extra work. But they got at that point, they got about 5 million yen uh, for their renovations. And it, this one was a local bank. So you can, you, can easily get, you can easily get a loan for renovations if you need to. And we are right now, actually, as a company, uh, we are in a dealings with Orico, and at that point, the loan would go through us. So the customer will not have to uh, deal with the bank themselves. They would get the loan with Orico through us for their renovations. Okay, so like kind of like a real estate agent, you can actually handle the loan application for renovations as well. We will be, we will be able to do that, uh, I would say, within next month. That's we, should start, we should start. We are, we are doing it oh. right now. We are, we are doing filling in the applications. You know, in Japan, everything is a lengthy process. Okay. And that was the we, first part of the conversation. You missed that, yeah? <laughs> yes, yes. And because, you know, we have two offices. We have uh, Tokyo and we have Chiba. And the Chiba office is right now being built. So, of course, Orico wants to wait for the office to be actually built up because they come, they have to do inspections. One of the conditions was, for example, we have to have a private meeting rooms and stuff like that. So uh, until they see the private meeting rooms inside the showroom, we cannot sign the deal and everything. So we are waiting, but um, our showroom is going to be built, finished within this month. So then from May, uh, we, will have, we will have the contracts and then we'll be able to help our clients that way. That's ridiculous that they're asking, sorry, going back to the bank conversation. This is like the schools telling us that what our kids are allowed to do after school or not. How is it their business if you got a meeting well, room in your showroom or you do it elsewhere? So, uh, they, um, want to, they want to make sure, I think, because when it comes to all this, um, you have, it's a lot of uh, private informations of the clients that you are handling. So, uh, you know, we have to have a very secure servers and then you also have a, a private meeting room so nobody else can hear the conversation mm -hmm. that goes on between you and the client and stuff. So, I mean, I can understand that. It's not a problem. We have the space. We are building it. It's just that, you know, um, took two months to start building in Japan, jumping through the real estate hoops, getting the, the property and everything. And then, you know, now just finishing up. But, you know, everything, if you submit the right papers and are able to, to go with them through the hoops, then you can actually easily uh, get what you need to. You know, it's just the big of it, but. Yeah. That's what I was gonna say about Japan. They have so many hoops, but you know those hoops, those hoops are clearly defined. Yeah. And it's just a lot of administrative hoops, <laughs> but there's no ifs or buts. You know, if you meet these requirements, yeah. this is what you need and you can go through it. You know, for me is when you know when you know what you need and you are able to bring them the papers or you know give them the documentation they need um, and and fulfill their requirements then you know you will get Speak it. their language yeah well that's where that's yeah. where the bilingual part comes in luckily because you know we have we have a great staff in the office 
Uh, no, I mean like speak speak their legalese or paperese language. Like yeah. this is the name of the document and this is when oh, it needs to be submitted and this is the process, right? That's that's the whole thing. That's why I'm late today. All the meetings <laughs> with lawyers and with tax people and everything, it kind of takes time. And, um, you know, a lot of stamps. And then I was almost here and then you're like, oh my God, one more stamp missing. So then had to go back, do the stamps and stuff. So... <laughs> It's a lot of stamps. If you see my working bag, it's my husband is like, it has like 20 kilos. What are you carrying there? <laughs> Sorry, Tracy, you were going to say? I was just going to say, it's the same in Mimpaku as well. It's like everyone said, oh, look, you know, it's so hard to get a license. It's like, well, not really. If you if you know the checkboxes, because at the end of the day, the people issuing licenses, people issuing loans, people issuing like certificates, right? they, they just want to be able to have deniability, you know? Everything was checked. Not yep. my, pro- you know, any problems. Not my problem. I, you know, I did my due diligence. Everyone yep. just wants to have no ambiguity. And if it can fit within a checklist, a checkbox, then everyone's golden. So, um, yeah. And that's like I said, it's the same with Mimpaku. It's like with the hotel license as well. Um, you know, we made it like we had to have a front desk. Excuse me, yep. doing inverted commas. Had to have a front desk. You know what I did? I got a pop-up table, like a collapsible <laughs> table, and took a photo of it and went, this is our front. I mean, the, the hotel's in my house, to be fair. But yeah. like, we needed it. You know, one of the, the check boxes was you need a front desk. Yep. Here is my front desk. Here's a photo of it. Yep, we've checked that box off. And- see, Tracy, you're saying, you're saying it's checklisted, but um, I, I'm sorry to, to say this, but a non-Japanese entrepreneur, or maybe an entrepreneur, no, but let's call it a, a typical Japanese salaryman who's trying to do this on the side would never think to take a pop-up desk and just take a picture of oh. it and send it to them. But they tell you, though. Like, the, the ward office, like... The ward office will tell you. They'll send we'll those. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Any kind of desk will do. Okay. Well, it, it needs to be. I remember what I was looking at. They're like, I'm like, because I ask, because you go there and you inquire. And for the most part, they're quite helpful. Um, Setagaya, very, very helpful. Yeah, Shibuya, help. mm, no, not a big fan of their, their Hokkien, like that, that, that particular department. Suginami. <laughs> uh, not me, but. Suginami have been. Yeah, awesome. yeah different awesome. wards are great. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Setagayaku is so helpful. But, but they tell you, like, the purpose of it is that when someone comes, you have a place to check their stuff and present and show them the, the some rules and fill out documents. And that's a desk. And that, that's the purpose of it. So even a pop-up desk is actually fine. It doesn't need to be a permanent fixed desk, but someplace where you can do that activity. Um, and, and similar to what, you know, um, Blanka was saying as well, they want to see an office where you can have a private discussion because if you're, uh, if they're going to give you permission to act as a representative of the bank, or, the, or, or, you know, uh, or, or the financial institution, they're giving you a certain level of, of credibility. Yeah. Okay. Because they're a big name. It's their financial institution. They're giving you a certain level of credibility and they're saying, you can submit these documents on our behalf, but they need to know that you're not going to go and scam people or that it's a certain minimum level of standard that they want, right? That you're not going to Starbucks to, to talk about, um, you know, their, their pri- private financial matters. Okay, why, what, like, is this really this Oracle resales person is just coming, meet me in Starbucks and discussing it all here? No, I've I want to go to people doing here. job interviews in Starbucks. It's pretty normal here, yeah. actually. They've done it, but this is not, but the bank giving their name is, I think, is, is the line. That's where the bank is saying, we, we're not going to do that. 
Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, I think for us it's also with the with the sensitivity of the information that we get from clients. Uh, oh, yeah. Our computers are secured and they are basically tied up to our locations. We cannot even take them out. Uh, even the laptops, we cannot take them out of the office because you know the sensitivity. If there was a, a leak, it would be huge because we have all our customers' information yeah. there. So information. Yeah. different computers that we take out. Uh, out of the office and different ones uh, with that system that stay inside. Yeah. Where's your office pointer? Uh, one is in Azabudai. Oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Close to close to American Club. Yeah. So our system, we'll, we'll probably have to, to sign off soon, or at least I will. You guys can carry on. But I, I wanted just to ask, just to clarify for me on the renovation loans, so this is doable both for a property that I'm currently purchasing and I, I can include the renovation costs in the initial property loan that I'm going to take. I know Emil talked about that previously. Mm -hmm. and But Blanca was saying it's also doable if I already own the property and I only want to apply for a renovation loan. So I know that's possible with a um, owner-occupier home, but how does that work with investment properties? Uh, yeah. We, the, the, uh, the client was living in that property. Uh, oh, I think we lost her. Where, okay. She's gone. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not sure about investment, if it's an investment property, but in general, yeah, like I've seen, like we, what's common for us is we do it with the purchase. So if someone's buying a used house, or use properly say it's 50 million yen for the property and they have another 8 million yen of renovations they would like to do we put that loan together we put the quotes together and it becomes one full loan 58 million yen it's the purchase plus the renovation and the bank will actually pay the um renovation company directly and they they actually will scrutinize and look at who is this renovation company are they licensed? Because they don't want to give a loan just to any renovation company. It ends up being your friend and they don't even end up doing the work. It's just a way for you to pocket it. Do they also look at the plan? Because you mentioned some of the renovations that people do actually then don't qualify them for uh, refinancing anymore. So do they look at what you're planning to do with it too? Uh, yeah, so they'll get a quote. And usually a quote will say, okay, there's, they're changing the kitchen, they're changing the toilet, the bathrooms, wallpaper, etc. Right? So if it's... Usually when we talk about reform, that's the kind of stuff that they do. If it's an extension of additional room, um, something that will change the, uh, the size or the footprint, then I think that will get scrutinized quite differently. Okay. But for the most part, when people are buying places, they're just, it's a used place. So it's new, you know, it's new bathroom, toilets, kitchen, wallpaper, maybe flooring, exterior maintenance, right? That's usually the big ones that, that we, uh, the, that we look at. Oh, so yes, okay. Yeah. So that, that so they're the items that we look at. You can do it with the loan with, with the purchase. And so if you're buying a new property, that's probably better to do it all together. If you are, if you already live there and you've been there for a few years, and then you want to do it, then you know, like what Blanco was suggesting, or what they offer, I think is that you can do it with them, and they'll, you can go to your own bank if you like, or you can go with just use the, the renovation company like company directly and they'll sort it out with uh, is it uh, oryx that you said you're dealing with now blanca oryx uh, there's oracle but there are banks as well we've done we've done one with the local bank that one was done through the client 
client did it themselves. So there are ways to always go about it. And, um, you know, it's just important that the customer, I think basically what's the most important is that you have an income. <laughs> you know, once you have, a, once you have an income, yeah. that's the base. That's the base. And then once you have that, then you can uh, already discuss with the different banks about different terms of the loan. But uh, right now the bank, and more keen on on offering loans so even if it's an investment property if you are a registered business then they are willing to do it if you are a person if you are a, a, a private person that has an investment property that needs to be renovated there are hoops that can be jumped through and you do it that way as well so it is you know, possible that's that's what, what I was okay. for a, for the part of uh, of some time change your jumihio to that address and yeah. at that you are if you register your address there in the property then then you can do it there are ways to do everything oh no no uh, but wait but that that means that i'm treating this as an owner occupied property I'm, I'm talking about a purely rental property whether i've purchased it with a loan or whether i purchased it in cash i've got an investment property it's generating monthly rental income and i want to improve on it in some way will, will they lend for that i don't know i cannot okay. answer and uh, I don't want to speculate, but yeah. as I'm saying, there is always way to figure that out uh, when when we know more details, then we can always figure it out how it can be done. But then I think once we have the, for example, for us, once we have our contract with Orico, then I will know more about these things because then I can ask specific questions as well that would be very interesting because i'm wondering if they'll i mean i'm guessing it might be more of a business loan than a property loan and then the terms would probably be different as well the interest rates i, I don't know that'll be very interesting to find out yeah but then yeah if because if it's an investment property then of course it's not a personal it's a it's a you know part of business so there would be different terms but there's always ways to do it yeah uh, Zid, well, one thing i'm curious because i know the nature of your clients if they are, I'm pretty sure it will be quite easy if they live in Japan and they have Japan income and they want to apply for a loan to renovate either their own home or an investment property because they have Japan sourced income. What I think is would be challenging is let's say it's a client who lives in Singapore and they have oh, a, then they're uh, never going to get know, a loan. That's not, yeah, yeah, a unit, yeah, 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 <laughs> even though they're the domestic income, I, I think that won't, that won't really happen. Um, is one thing. Uh, I do want to ask the blanket. What are the current? What are the approximate interest rates for a renovation? Just straight up a renovation loan for a property you're, you've already you already own and live in. Well, like one point seven or two percent? No, it was less. It was less for the yeah. five million. It was below one percent. Okay, nice. Okay, so similar to the home loan. But it, yes, oh. it, but it again that also depends of whether the person is Japanese or a foreigner. Uh, they, have, they have their tabs. So the client we dealt with was Japanese. So of course the terms are more favorable to them than they are to foreigners. Okay, does it depend on their residency status or their it, Yes, it depends, <laughs> it depends on the status of the client and uh, uh, how to say that, and the bank. Because yeah. every bank kind of deals, they have, you know, the percentage really varies. I know people that took uh, four or 5% loans yeah. be because they, they were foreigners and the bank 
uh, that gave it to them was only willing to deal with them because they were like complicated properties and stuff. So they were willing to, you know, close an eye here and there, but then the percentage went up based on that. So, so securing a loan for anything is possible, but the conditions vary a lot. There is no one number at all. Even a Japanese person can get anywhere from 0.3 to like over 1%. It really, really depends on everything, on a lot of factors. So it's always best to secure the meeting and, and then, you know, discuss first. This is what my conditions are. This is what is going on. This is what, uh, where, you know, like my, my work, my contracts and everything, how long you've been working in the company where you are employed right now. You know, uh, of course, small business owners, very, very difficult at that point. If you, if you actually are not an employee, but you are an entrepreneur, you are an owner, then you already have more problems. Yeah, I got a call yesterday from somebody who, who he couldn't believe it. He said, I, you know, I'm, I'm a business owner. I'm making over, in his case, 25 million yen, yen a year. And they're telling me that I can't get a home loan. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yes, yes, because they don't see uh, they don't see entrepreneurship as a secure business. So the salary man that makes three hundred thousand a month will get loan easier than him that makes ten times as much. Mm. Yeah, so there's a lot of factors on it that goes into loans, whether it's for buying property or renovating property. So it goes case by case. It cannot be there is no kind of like one plan fit fits all. Sorry, Emil, you were going to say? Um, yeah, like the, the entrepreneur side of stuff, when you're a business owner or entrepreneur, generally they want, you know, the, it's common they want, banks want about 20% down payment. Yeah. So, and they want to see your business income, your, your profit and loss to Kistan Shore for your company for the past two to three years. And they don't want it to be in the black. They don't, they don't want it to be in the red. They yeah. want it to be in the black. Uh, so any kind of losses, it's going to be like, yeah, almost, almost blacklisted. So even if you've paid yourself a salary and you personally are in the black, but the business is in the red, which could be a strategy for a lot of people, um, that, that's a no-go. Yeah, well, I mean, you can, because remember how it works in the, for corporate taxation is, okay, I can set up a company and I'm the, the employee of that company. And I can say the company is paying me 10 million in a year. And so the company, so my tax withholding that says I'm making 10 million yen a year, but maybe just say the company only made 4 million yen of revenue. The company's revenue says they, they made, the company's proper P&L sheet says they made five, 4 million yen of revenue, but they have six million, uh, 10 million yen of salary expenses. Yeah. So that company is just on a 6 million yen in the red, 6 yeah. million yen. And so I'm not really making 6 million yen. Like I'm not actually getting because the bank, the company doesn't have the money to pay me because I'm the boss. I don't actually have to do that bank transfer all the time. I am going to pay tax on, on the 10 million, but the company didn't actually make it. Yeah. So the bank knows that that's a possibility. So what I'm actually saying, I'm paying myself and the actual money that's there are two different things. That's why they need to look at it. And so yeah. is, is the bank, is the build, is the business actually making the money that they're saying they're paying the owner? And this is something that can happen when you are the owner. We've actually got a similar situation where it's not just if you're the owner. Like some people say, oh, 
especially coming from Australia, it's whose name is it in? Is it in my name or my wife's name? Right? And then if it's in my wife's name, then I can buy one under my name. That's all that really matters. Whereas in Japan, they don't look at it like that. It's the household. Yeah. So we've got one, one situation where the wife, Japanese wife, is a daihyo. So she owns the KK and it's in her name. But most of the salary goes actually to the husband. Right? So it's like a, a 30 It's a pretty common situation, split. actually. Yeah. It's, it, it is common. But now the husband wants to apply for the loan. And the husband looks like just a straight up salary man. He's not the daihyo of the company. But the bank says, well, well hold on a second. What is, what is this company? Who is the daihyo? It's you and your wife. There are two employees. And you are the same household. So it's basically the same thing. So in that case, we still want to see the P&L of the business. Right? Because it's the, the same thing. If it were, you know, a company with, say, five or ten staff, and it's one of the staff members, right, that wants to do it. And like, well, there's no actual relation, not a family member, and it's not the same household as the owner, as the, the business owner, then they won't ask for the business p and Yeah. Right? Separate. But when it's just your household, there's two staff, it's you and your spouse, they treat it as the same thing, regardless of who is technically the daikyo or not. I guess bottom so, line, no yeah. shortcuts here. Not really. Not really. No. And we've got, we've got someone doing that right now. And so that's the, the only tricky thing is, okay, they were kind of in the black previous year, then in the red this year. Um, and just a, I think a few hundred thousand yen, it's like almost negligible. But the bank is a bit, has a bit of a line, are they in the black or in the red? And that's mm-hmm. kind of almost it. Not how much in the red are they? How much in the black are they? So if you just like made a hundred thousand yen profit, you're in the black, then that's still okay. If you're down a hundred thousand in the red, that's not okay. And so we, we're still going to do the application and see whether or not they get approval. Um, so that's like fingers crossed. Right. See how we go. Good yeah. luck with that. And um, I personally will have that with that will have to sign off. But um, carry on if you're uh, if you're into it. I will stop the recording and uh, we'll talk next week. Yep. Thank you all for joining today. And thanks for joining us, Blanca. It'll be great to have you every week now. Free again. Or as soon as you can, as often as you can make it. I mean. yeah. well, well, Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. So not sure if you've noticed there, but this is the very first time that we actually had all five of our panel members on the same show, including Blanca, our brand new member. Hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Let us know what you think in the comments section. And please don't be shy to float any questions that you may have or any topics that you would like us to discuss or answer in future episodes as well. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com, and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. 
do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think so leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store on Spotify or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode we love hearing from you hope to have you with us again